Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. It is another brand new episode of Flyers Daily. It is a Monday as we inch closer and closer to Captain Skates, kind of maybe at the end of this month, a couple weeks away into September, leading up to Flyers rookie camp and then right into Flyers training camp, preseason and season not that far off and things are ramping up and joining us on this edition of Flyers Daily as he does every Monday. You read his work on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com and HockeyBuzz.com. It is Bill Meltzer. Bill, how you doing? Doing well. How about you? I'm doing good as well. I'm enjoying the World Juniors, enjoying watching some some hockey, which has been nice. But we're going to get to that in a second. Where I want to start, though, is we actually got an email from Flyers PR about the critical dates for the Flyers. And is it? I don't know if it's wrong, but I get excited when I see the critical dates calendar <laughs> at this time of year. Yeah, you know, it, it, it always comes, you know, when there's not much going on, but it's a reminder Hey, you know, things are going to start happening quickly soon. Um, you know, we, we've hit that point in the offseason we talked a few weeks ago where, you know, and any news comes in drips and drabs. And what what does come in is tend to be minor. You know, is, is, uh, before we recorded this, uh came out that the uh, Flyers had signed Jackson Cates to a one-year contract. And, you know, other times that wouldn't necessarily be news, newsworthy, but you look for look for any you know any signing news. So it, we're at that stage of things. So it's nice to talk about, you know, when rookie camp starts, when the rookies game is, and you know, and and uh, first preseason game, and when rosters have to be filed, and all all that stuff counting down to the season, because it feels so long. You know, it feels like it's it's going to take forever to get there, and then the next thing you know, you know, it's, it's right around the corner. So yeah. It's just a sign that this is the calm before the storm. I'm sure when Josephville and Flyers PR sent out the critical dates, it wasn't intended to get people excited, but it gets me excited. And because yeah. uh, at this point, I'm just so over the heat and everything else. You know, I think the interesting thing too, Bill, is you know these last two off seasons without playoffs, the off season is technically much longer. Uh, you know, the teams that go all the way to the cup, and I'm not saying you got to go to the cup, but I mean it's two months and change longer for the Flyers to go from game at the end of the season to next game to begin the next season. And frankly, I'm tired of that. I don't know that that's going to end this year. It's one of the things we're going to talk about in this episode. But when the team does not make the playoffs and you're counting down the games to the end of the season because it's a lost season, that's even more difficult. For sure. And, you know, if if you look at if you don't count the preseason games and you talk about when the regular season starts, when the game started in earnest, probably about six months. Yeah. So the six-month gap from the last time you played a, you know, quote-unquote meaningful game. So, I mean, that, you know, half a year. That's a long, a long time with no hockey. Didn't Tom Cruise say that in A Few Good Men? They're offering six months. It's a hockey season. <laughs> when he was Dawson and Downey, he's offered, yeah. the government's offered to do six months in uh, – federal penitentiary uh but anyway let's get to the world juniors because um they're going on now and i know somebody had tweeted me and asked you know why cutter gochier wasn't playing in this world juniors you gotta remember this world juniors was basically last year's world juniors that didn't happen and were postponed but what it did do as we talked about last week was now open the door for tyson forster to play because he was injured last year would not have been able to i think this is a really important element for him and bill you can see the rust there He's not playing on instinct right now, but you can also see the skill set. And we saw that on the goal to make it 5-1 the other night. Yeah, for sure. You know, and 
it wasn't necessarily big for the tournament. The game itself was already decided by that point. But you, you don't you want that frustration to hit a level where it's in his head. And he's coming off of shoulder surgery, was still not at his best at the end of the season. And, and you could see a little frustration setting in because he had some scoring chances. And you, you just, you know, you want to be instinctual for him. So to, ha- to have that bang-bang goal that he scored, you know, just uh, – a lot of frustration yeah, was was gotten out just the one shot, just because he was able to skate down the slot. He took, took a nice pass from Johnson, just bury in the back of the net. So that, that was a big thing for him. Um, you know, the USA will will either finish first or second in the bracket, depending what happens against Sweden, which is about to actually get started as we're uh, as we're recording this. So uh, we'll see how we'll see how that game turns out. But I mean, whether they're first or second. You know the opportunity for Canada to uh, make a deep run, win win a medal, and then go into training camp with some confidence. I think I think is a big thing. For, yeah, he's for a player. Yeah, he he's a player too, Bill. That's not used to struggling at scoring, so you don't want it to go on too long and start to get into his head, and then you start to press, and then you find. I think for scores, then you start to find ways to not score. Yeah. And, for him just to get that bang bang play and just react instinctually, I think we saw the same thing a little bit with Owen Tippett last year, yeah. where you take that away, that ability to think and remember that you're ha- you're struggling a little bit to put the puck in the net, and that's exactly what can turn your fortunes around. Yeah, the, the play where you're not thinking about it, you know, where you're yeah. not uh, you have a puck in the slot and you're you have half a net staring into here, just have to shoot it, you know, yeah. grip and rip, and that was it. So that was uh, you know that was exactly what the doctor ordered for him and. You know, there, there's a there's an amount of I mean, there's an amount of pressure on any team and, and self-imposed pressure. But you're you're on Team Canada and you're playing in the top six and you're getting and you're getting power play time. You know, and and you have uh, an 11 to one game where you have one secondary assist and no points in the first game, and it's all about the team. But you know, a player wants to feel like he's contributing, wants to feel like he's playing those capabilities, and that's uh, you know that, that that becomes a whole self-imposed kind of pressure. So. We'll see, uh, you know, we'll see over the remainder of the tournament. But that, that, that I think, was a big moment for him. And it, it, it's also more important for him as a guy who's expected to score than, you know, like uh, Elliot Denoyer, who's playing on the fourth line. And his role there isn't necessarily to score. It's to help prevent other teams from scoring. Um, yeah. You know, you know, in, you know, in junior hockey, whatever, he's an offensive player and can contribute there too. But for, but for a guy like Forrester who's expected to score, that's uh, that that you know that that could be a burden on a player. I think uh, you mentioned Tippett. I think that's a good example. I think Morgan Frost is another guy too. Was feeling that pressure a little bit last year. So, totally. you know, I, I think I think I think that's a good thing for him, and you know, it's a good sign. I mean, I think he's played better than his numbers have looked, but uh, hopefully, can hopefully get some numbers to go with it to the rest of the tournament. Yeah, I mean, when you look up job description for Tyson Forster and World Juniors under his job description to do his job. It's to put the puck in the net, yeah, yeah, and and that's a, that's pretty well known, and he knows that's his role. That he's a trigger man on that team, and uh, for him to get a goal and maybe contribute a little bit more. Um, looking at the World Juniors real quick, I got to ask you about Bedard because Bill, I, I talk about this a ton about the ability of players now to be so deceptive with the release of their shot to move the puck. And one of the hardest things for a goaltender is one of those pucks in the middle of the ice, the middle of the slot, where a player moves it from away from his body into his body and is able to get a lot on it. Austin Matthews, there's no better player in the NHL 
at that snapshot, pulling yeah. it into his feet, released. It's not something that Ovi does, but it is something that Matthews, and he is a hoss, he gets a ton on it. And Bedard showed that. And he had a couple rips and had a real nice goal. And you saw the goalie look fooled because he doesn't know when that release is coming. This kid's cool. got that extra special ability to be able to have the you know wherewithal and the game slow enough in his head to pull moves like that, but also to deliver the goods when he does. And he's been really impressive. He's he's been sensational when you, when <laughs> you think really about it. Outrageous. I mean, that he's still a year away from being draft eligible, and he'd have multiple. If you know, he'll be in the NHL sooner than later. But but theoretically, you know, theoretically, he's eligible for multiple. I think three more World Juniors after this one. Yeah. I mean, that's how young. That's how young he is, and he's small. But he's he, you know, but he gets so much on the shot, and with as you said, no windup. There's there's no there's, yeah. it's pure deception because you don't you know there, there's no tell. There's any. It's not even you know. It's not even like a head shoulder fake. It just it's, it's off a stick immediately, and it's. Uh, uh, I mean, he's just he's he's just a special player. He he's in he's in that category of just that rare player that comes along, and you know the team that the team that drafts him obviously will have a sensational young player on their hands. Um, but the the flip side of that, you know, is that the tank for Bedard. Well. You you go you, you know you the worst team in the NHL you still have a less than twenty percent chance of drafting them you just chips are going to fall wherever they're going to fall but if but if you're lucky enough to be able to draft them and, and in a draft where you know they're depending on who you talk to there might be three maybe even four franchise caliber players in this draft but Bedard being over and above all of them you know he's that he's that generational kind of talent potentially so it's been it's been a real a real treat to watch him and just the just the skill level, some of these young players. There was a oh. there was another Michigan goal scored the other day, and it looked ridiculously easy. Ridiculously yeah, the backhand on it too. Yeah, yeah. It's it is amazing. Like I, there was a, a a documentary. I'm not sure if it was on Amazon Prime or Netflix about greatness in sports, and Pele was in it. Gretzky was in it. Other great like all time all timers, and like it, it's like I just want people to wrap their head around that. Like a lot of us grew up playing sports or we watch sports, or if you listen to this, obviously you know what greatness in sport is and think about, you know, the kid in your high school, that was just a great player or whatever, the kid in your town. And for a guy like Connor Bedard to be the greatest of the great, like it's so hard to, it's so hard to fathom. Like what's the difference that he has to be able to do what he did at 16 years old in 62 games last year and score 51 goals 49 assists, 100 points in the WHL as an underage. You know, like, it, it almost doesn't make sense. I remember Patrick O'Sullivan, former Team USA player, played in the NHL, was a great junior player, was on my Stick to Hockey show years ago, and he talked about a U16 tournament he played international for Team USA. Best players in the country, from every country, right? Age, get you know, age against age. And they played against Russia, and they lost like 11-2, to two, and Ovi scored 10 goals. He's like, I just couldn't fathom how much better he was than everybody else. I just wonder, like, how does that recipe happen? You know what I mean? For greatness to be that personified, it just almost defies logic. It's like a yeah. superpower. Yeah. You know, it's almost like uh, they're two steps ahead of everybody else. Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're anticipating things that, uh, 
you know, even, even the guy who gets you the puck hasn't even thought of yet. He just he just sees, you know, he can see things develop before they develop, which which sounds you know like nonsense, but so, somehow somehow they have just this level of anticipation. And B, they can do things. That, one thing that the that, that great players great players can do is they they can do, you know, they can make great plays at top speed. Yeah, but these these guys can make otherworldly plays at times. You see, you see with Connor McDavid. Yeah, that uh, you know there are, there are guys who can fly, but they they can't necessarily make things happen when they're at top can't speed. Play fast. They can't play. They can fast, skate right. fast, but they can't play fast because the brain can't keep up with the body. They, exactly right. Exactly right. And you know these guys these guys can make their very best plays at top speed, and that that's what sets them apart from even other great players and. You know, and they're not even conscious of it half the time. You know, they, they, they don't. It's not. If you ever ask them to explain it, they can't. They they just no. they just see the game that way. It's just how you know. It's why a lot of times they don't make very good coaches because they can't articulate it. They just do it. Yeah, it's you can't explain how you achieve greatness because it's so instinctual. And the thing about it, you know, with with players like McDavid, like obviously Gretzky and you know Lemieux and the greats prior. It's, it's one of those things where it's the elite physical skills combined with immense brain for the sport that calculates things like a supercomputer when we're all there with adding with an abacus. And that's the difference, which gives them just the mental approach so far ahead of everybody else. It's really stunning. Um, one of the things in uh, Ask Billy last week, though, we got a tweet, and I wanted to attack it in this episode because I didn't think we could just knock it out as part of an Ask Billy. And it was Derek who tweeted it in at suitable alias on Twitter. And it's a two part tweet. And it says, um, for Ask Billy last week, what is the actual plan for turning the Flyers into a good hockey team? And what should fans be interested in? Then he went on to say, I should specify, quote, long term plan, because we all understand them being anything good this year would be a miracle on ice part two. Now, I want to attack it from the last part first, because in the sport of hockey, I don't think that them being good this year, I don't, I'm not predicting them to be a playoff team. I'm not predicting them to be good. I'm not really predicting anything. Uh, but for that to be a miracle, to me, that wouldn't be a miracle because we've seen it happen too many times. We've seen it happen here. We've seen it happen in many other cities. I mean, look at the Vegas Golden Knights. They went to a cup final without a top line. Yeah, they had three second cal- second line caliber lines on that team. But the sport is very random. So as far as it being a miracle on ice for them to be anything good, decent this year, I don't agree with that part at all. I'm not predicting it, but I'm not going to call it a miracle if it happened. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with all of that. And, you know, I'm trying to remember when we did the podcast. But we looked at historically where the relative importance of being you know, where you where you ranking goals per game and, and goals against average. And the whole point being that if you can get into the top third in the league in goals against average, even if you're towards the bottom third in you know goals per game, historically you have a fighting shot at getting into the playoffs. And you're talking about some teams that that have done that with relatively modest talent. Now you need a lot, you still need a lot of things to go right. You need good health, you need good certainly need good goaltending. That's the big equalizer always. But so you don't necessarily have to have overwhelming talent to be able to put together a season where you keep yourself in games and you find a way into the playoffs. So I don't, I don't think it, I don't think it requires a miracle. It does require 
a lot of buy-in and for uh, a transformation of identity for, for this team. They have to get back to where they were two seasons ago when, you know, they – I think the biggest thing with that team was, to me, that year, yes, they were top eight in goals per game and in goals against average. To me, the biggest thing that year was – that year the Flyers were the stingiest team in the NHL in terms of shots against per game. Nobody allowed fewer shots per game than the Flyers did. That was the number one reason for the turnaround. They gave themselves a chance. They gave Carter Hart a chance to win win them games. And, you know, they other than other than that stretch right after Oscar Lindblom had cancer, the, the Flyers really all season long stuck with an identity. And they, you know, they, they played they over their heads, I guess, in terms of the long-term outlook. But in terms of one-year standpoint, they – you know, they all bought in, and and you saw, you know, you saw that they were capable of being a better team than they'd been the year before that. When the, you know, other than other than changing over to um, Elaine Vigneault that year, uh, the big acquisitions were were what was Niskanen, Niskanen Braun, Hayes, and, and Pitlick. And, yeah, and, and yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, the, the, those were no earth shattering changes, but it was a big improvement in the team's record. And the Flyers aren't the only example of that, you know. Um, we talked about when we were talking about the coaching search with Barry Trotz, how we took the team from worst goals against the number one goals against, and the number one thing that happened in offseason was, was they lost their best player. Yeah. So so often in hockey, things don't go according to how it looks on paper. Um, you know, and I'm certainly not predicting as with you. I'm not predicting playoffs. I'm not predicting you know any particular point total or anything like that. But but if Watch hockey enough over the years to know that a lot of teams that win with few expectations a lot more than was expected of them. Um, and you know, you go back to the first the first year, the, the Mike Keenan year, and that's a long time ago. But I'm bringing it for one one reason only: Hockey News predicted the Flyers were going to finish fifth in the Patrick Division that year, and they ended up with the best record in the NHL and a, and a run of being a contending team. And that was a the youngest team in the NHL, and you know, that's eighty four, eighty five, Bill. 84-85, yeah. Yep. 84-85. Uh, there wasn't a President's Trophy yet, but if there would have been, they would have won it that year. Over over Edmonton, actually. Yeah. So the, the, the point just being that you, you just don't know how a team is going to come together, and you won't really have a sense of that until you're, you know, getting getting about halfway into a season. You know, and uh, they use the, uh, the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday as a line demarcation. To me, it's, to me, it's a little further out like that, more like the Christmas break. Yeah, I agree. But if, you, but if you're still in it around then, you're still hanging around, you know, see how it goes. But I, I, I think, you know, I think I think all the criticisms of the Flyers on paper are all valid. But I just, um, you know, but I, I want to see how injured players come back in the lineup to the Couturiers and, and whatnot and how young, how young players come. And then, then you have a better idea of what you may have as a hockey team. Yeah, and, and it's going to kind of lead us to the second part. Just before we get to that second part about the, the quote, long-term plan, you know, you see John Tortorella playing this card already. And there's two things you cannot measure with any kind of statistics or, I mean, even the eye test doesn't, but it's identity and belief. And, you know, that year in 1920, in AV's first year, and those additions of Braun, Niskanen, you know, Tyler Pitlick, and Kevin Hayes, and no Nolan Patrick, that team found the identity and belief. I mean, when you don't lose back-to-back games for the final basically three, four months of the season into the second round of the playoffs, there's obviously an identity and belief there that, hey, we don't let one turn into two. 
And, you know, that, that, you know, I look at the Vegas Golden Knights in that rook in that inaugural season going, they, they caught on to the Island of Misfit toys identity and a belief that they could win with it and use that as their fuel. And it worked. It got them all the way to a final, but you can't measure those things. And I see John Tortorella playing the card already. Nobody believes in us. I'm pissed off at the people ripping my general manager, all of those things. And I imagine that first meeting of camp. I, I mean, I, I would, I'd, I'd put green money down. One of the first thing he says is nobody thinks you're going to be any good. They think you're going to stink. They think we can't do shit, right? Yep. That's going to be one of the first things out of his mouth. And then the second thing out of his mouth is going to be, the only way we can prove them wrong is if we do it together. I think that that's his message to a T. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, he's going to, he's going to talk about, talk a lot about commitment and then he's going to hold guys to it. That's, that's something you guarantee, guarantee, guarantee that, that yeah. means, you know, that, that means uh, giving up your body, not to, to not, not just to block shots, but to, to make a play to, you know, I, I you know, listen, you, you don't want too many games, you know, for obvious reasons where you're, somebody's sliding to block a shot, defending your empty net when you're down by a goal late, right? That means you're losing a lot. But but just, just little things like that, competing till the final buzzer is really what it's really what that's getting at. Um, I mean, it, it was one of the, I, I think, most disheartening things about the Flyers the last two seasons were how many times, how, how many winnable points are left on the table? How many times were, you know, we're not – we're out, we're out of this. We're down by a goal going to the third period, and you just knew we're not coming back. Yeah, they're not coming. Or back. they had a lead, and then they found a way to or lose they, it. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. Last year, their last year second periods particularly were, and it started right from opening night too. Remember against Vancouver? Yeah, uh, that first period was an excellent period, and the second period was as bad as the first. First period was good, and they just they never had. You know, they never had whatever you want to call it, identity or, or whatever. That that's the biggest thing. I mean, you know, there there's uh, one thing you, you could say was a, a flyers trait over the years was that they had some teams that were more talented than other teams. It was the rare flyers team that got outworked on any on, on any kind of a regular basis. The flyer the flyers were often not the harder working, more opportunistic. You know, more uh, more determined team, and and you know the and when there was a game that popped up like that, like like you know where they did show those traits like again, you know, and it's an odd an odd opponent to bring up, but the game against Chicago, there was a game against Chicago this past season, um, or or even Giroux's last game, where the yeah. Flyers just we're not we are not losing today, yeah, and you could feel it, you could sense it, 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 it was uh, unfortunately too you know the. You can remember those games because they were kind of the exception. Yeah, and too few know, and far between. Too few and far between. And 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 in in the nineteen twenty season, one thing that team was was very resilient. You know, if you give up one early, okay, you, you just move on. And you know, they they didn't shoot themselves in the foot nearly as regularly as they have the last two years. So, so so much of the part of the plan is just you know reestablishing that identity, but making it making it be something that's sustained that you talk about a long-term plan that has, that has to become part of the flyers identity. Again, talent is obviously a huge piece of it too. You have to, you know, you have to have front end talent. You have to have guys 
who are either playing to their capabilities, some guys who overachieve, some guys, some guys, uh, you know, it seems like they're overachieving. They become kind of perpetual overachievers. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about those, those 80 teams, those eighties teams, Dave Poulin was a perpetual overachiever. Big time. You know? Um, and, and, you know, I mean, I, I'm naming a guy on the current team who might have some of that in him. It's a guy like Noah Cates, right? He, he might be a guy who just makes every line he's on better. And I'm not saying there are, there, are, there are hopes into Noah Cates or anything like that. What I'm saying is that you want to have you want to have a team of overachievers, and it's an o- overachievement is is as much mentality as it is talent. And you know that 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 to me is the long term plan to try to. You know, you call culture, call whatever you want to call it. But but that to me is what the long-term plan is. And then along with, you know, we mentioned Tyson Forster, right? A guy like Forster stepping up and, and becoming a regular contributor, not just a prospect, but a guy who you can count on a regular basis. On. And, you know, those those are all things that had, guys have to prove themselves first. But that's, you talk about a plan, that that's what the, at least the hope is. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you mentioned Noah Cates and you're playing over his bar, you know, over his projected line. And I think that's something that becomes infectious, too. That's something that can go through a lineup and everybody kind of raises the level of the game. Look, at he's playing beyond where we thought he was. I got to get to that level. And then guys start pushing above their, you know, their their waterline. And then then you have a team that's really contributing on all cylinders. I think it's, we saw that in 1922. We saw a lot of guys just, you know, really kind of playing taking steps in their career, playing above where we thought they would be at that time. And that's where it led them. Um, As far as the long-term plan goes, I mean, look, I think this is, it's really kind of simple in my eyes that this is a year of assessment and Chuck Fletcher used the word stabilization to find out who's part of this and who's not. And you move forward, you re, you know, we're going to do a total reboot, a hard reset, if you will, like you do on your phone or your computer. Uh, on the identity of this franchise. We saw it in the way they drafted. I think we saw it to some extent in the way that they attacked free agency. I know, I know people have been very critical of it, and I understand. Uh, but I think this is a hard reset on the identity of the franchise and the DNA. And um, that's really going to be the story of this year and, and how John Tortorella plays that card. We're not going to watch John Tortorella skate a single shift this year. I can guarantee you that. But he's going to be as instrumental in – the culture of this organization moving forward as anybody else and as probably as much as any guy that does skate a shift this year. Oh, for sure. And, you know, uh, others in the staff as well, you know, it's, uh, it, I, you know, they, they Rocky Thompson brings a certain mentality with him, for example. Right. Um, Bradshaw, uh, you know, I mean, that, that is a been a very successful assistant coach in the league, but these are guys who they'll push the guys. They will push players. And, um, you know, not, not, the, not the other group didn't necessarily. I'm not, I'm not saying that. And, and actually, uh, you know, if honestly, I think if the Flyers can turn things around to a significant degree this season and at least contend to be a playoff team, whether they're in or not, you know, I don't, I, I don't think that any credit is going to go to Mike Yo, but I think he'll deserve some credit because yeah. I think that, I think he, he took the first steps in trying to reset the process, and that uh, that's a thankless job. But you you could see that's what his focus was on, and now it's up to Tortorella and his new staff to take those next steps. Yeah, Mike took the crap end of the stick part of it too—the really 
tough part, the day the day to day tough elements of it. And he did it. And look, he's going to be working out in Vancouver and best of luck to him. He was a good man while I was here in an impossible yeah. situation. Last thing, Bill, and it just has me thinking, you know, looking back on Elaine Vigneault, and I know he's getting paid the next couple of years, still under contract. We did not hear his name for any jobs this year. Sure, the Flyers would have loved it. It would have mitigated the salary they got to pay him. Um, but you can't sit out too long. But the way things went down here, I mean, I mean, you look at it in some ways and go, man, he almost quit on them in a way, too. You know, he kind of stopped doing video and, you know, he really lost his way. You know, the pandemic played a part in it and, you know, the dealing with his parents' health and all that stuff. You know, he's human. But what's the future for Elaine Vigneault? Because you look back on his tenure now and, yeah, 1920 was a really good year and set some real good identifying markers. But ultimately, it fell way off a cliff. Yeah. He lost his way. The team lost its way. And he he gets a piece of it as well. I don't want the players off the hook because they play and he coached. But his stock to me is down because – all in all, he failed here. Ultimately, yeah. I mean, you know, whatever whatever worked that first year, stop working the second year. And you know, we and I have talked about this both on uh, you know on the podcast and privately. You know, there wasn't one specific moment you could say, "Okay, this is it." But if, but if but the, to me, the the thing where it became obvious that there was say a rift was the Carter Hart situation. Yeah. Where, you know, one thing I always saw with AV was he criticized, he wasn't afraid to criticize a player. And it was often in the realm of, I remember I remember the first year, actually, when he was getting on Hayes and um, Giroux even and, and uh, Voracek, it's, you know, and, and he was saying, listen, you know, I love the people. It's not about the people. I need more from the hockey players. Some players mm-hmm. can accept that. And, and then, and then whatever, you know, with the team struggling and Carter Hart struggling, it, it almost felt like he was he was shooting to hurt, uh, for lack of, and and calling his work ethic into question. And that, you know that and that didn't that didn't ring true. Yeah, he's got to battle more. He said. Yeah. yeah. The amount of texts and, that I got when he said that publicly, from guys that yeah. played in the league, played for the team, as a matter of fact, and high level commentators about the position or just in general from north of the border as well, yeah. were like, he can't be serious with this. And then you saw Brian Elliott would come out and have a mediocre outing. And it was like, we just saw Ken Dryden in his prime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was like, yeah. what is going on here? Yeah. You know, I. It was an odd target. Was, yeah. No, it was, it was, it was, it was way off target. It was way off target. And, you know, I mean, AV is never, to, to the best of my knowledge, unless he's done, you know, some French language stuff. But I probably would have been translated. I don't think he's talked. I don't think he's talked since the dismissal. Um, you know, there were there were things going into last year where, if you remember, the Flyers in camp basically stuck with set lines, and he's like, it was it was almost like AV decided, okay, we're gonna, I'll I'll try it your way. I'll I'll do it your way, and then. And then when that doesn't work, we're going to do it my way, you know. And they they were never on the same page again. Um, And you know, I'd I'd love I'd love to know his perspective on it actually, because it it did almost seem like, you know, whatever enthusiasm he had in that first year um, dissipated in that second year. And and he said there there were a whole lot of things going on, like as he said, like with with, you know, his parents' health. 
you know, the pandemic and being unable to go visit and, you know, the, the team itself and just, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, AV, AV was always good with us media guys, you know, um, savvy, no doubt. Savvy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, AV, AV would go and do his, you know, I hate to use the word performance, but he put out, put out his messages. He would talk for however many minutes, clap his hands, go, you know, we good. You, and, you knew when he went like that, it yeah. was, I'm done. done. I gave you enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there were there were also there were also certain days, and this was earlier in the season when you know we did a we did a couple because uh, no 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 Flyers coach since John Stevens had had the media guys in his office at all, and we did a couple sessions in his office, and basically pretty pretty much anything was you know anything was fair game, just don't burn them on it. Yeah. You know, and he would tell you, hey, what's going on with so, and he would tell you honestly. So, you know, he was he was pretty forthcoming most of the and then then when the playoffs would start, he would tell you, hey, I'm not giving you guys stuff during during the postseason. And you would you would understand that was the deal. And then the line of communication was basically shut off. And so he said nothing since then. I would I'd really like to know what you know how Elaine experienced this past year. But as you said, he does he doesn't escape blame because he's you know, if you if you're giving him credit as a you know, as a uh, Jack Adams finalist for nineteen twenty. Yeah. Then he deserves critis- equal amount of criticism for what happened after that, and that's just that's just how how it goes. And um, you know, it'll be the same thing too with uh, you know with John Turnaround. He he knows that's what, that's what the game is. Yep. You know, with with Torts, I think the only thing I've ever had with Torts sometimes is that uh, sometimes during the postseason, you know, when uh, it's one thing if you don't want to talk, it's another thing to sometimes act like a jerk about it. You know, and AV sometimes to me has kind of crossed crossed that line a little bit where it's just like you know what you're not being being very professional here because the media have a job to do too, and uh, I, the only the only I ever had the only thing I ever had with with John Tortorella where I felt like you know you, you're you know you're crossing a line here where it becomes all I know to him it's not personal and it, it's protecting his players and mm-hmm. keeping you know keeping that that mentality, but by the by the same token you know I don't know I I, I just felt like you know, I, you I gotta felt like play the game a little bit here. Yeah, a, a little bit, a little bit, and it's not you know, hey, hey, you know, if you want, if you want to give a twenty, a twenty word press conference, then don't even bother. Yeah. Don't don't even bother. Don't don't waste your time and everybody else's time. Uh, other than that, I, I and I know that's not his norm throughout most of a season, and that that's certainly not how he is during an off season. And I think sometimes it gives people the wrong impression. Um. But I, I would say, other than that, with with John Tortorella, I, I mean, I, I love, I love his candor, you know. Yeah. I, I love, I love the emotion, and uh, you know, and certainly this is a team that needs some emotion, pumped back into it. So no doubt, you know, all those things too. Different personality, different coach, turn the page, and so we'll we'll see what they can build. But as you said, that message is going to going to be we're going to have to build it together. No doubt about it. I, I have reached out to AV and he has declined uh, to come on my various different platforms <laughs> at this time. I will be reaching out again before the season. You know, I, I don't give up. I always keep trying um, and we'll see if we're able to get him. But uh, so far he's declined. Maybe I should just ask him to come on my Formula One podcast. He's from Montreal. They have a race up there. <laughs> Maybe he's a big Formula One fan. He wants to talk about the uh, some of the uh, Canadian drivers and Lance Stroll or Nicholas Latifi. So maybe I can get them that way. If you have a show about martinis or pontoons, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, My boating podcast, Davey, would you like to come on? (laughs) 
First question. <laughs> Why did it sink here? <laughs> Iceberg straight ahead. <laughs> anyway, uh, Bill, great stuff. Great conversation as always. We'll be back Wednesday, another brand new episode of Flyers Daily. Everybody, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We're counting down the days. We're getting closer. Read Bill's stuff at PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, HockeyBuzz.com. We'll talk to you on Wednesday's brand new Flyers Daily.